today is Romans chapter 14, verses 1 to 23, and that can be found on page 1140 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back, and page numbers for those are on the screen. So Romans chapter 14, starting at verse 1. Except the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters... One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand." One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to the Lord. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and give thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the living, of the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubt, doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. This is a word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks uh, very much indeed, Ali. Uh, some of you are thinking this will be interesting. And so why don't we pray, and then we'll take a look and work through it. Heavenly Father, we pray 
pray for humility for ourselves as we come to your word. We pray, uh, we pray for glory to your Son as we think through its implications. And Lord, help us this morning, we pray by your Spirit, uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you've not been with us, or if you are um, just joining us today, we are working through um, uh, a series at this season in the church's life, chapters 12 to 16 of Romans. We've called it Called to Community, and we're thinking uh, about what it means to be a church and a gospel community. As I say, at this particular point in the church's life, it's been helpful um, to do, um, and we're, uh, come, we've been working through some of the uh, uh, passages up to this point. We've got to Romans 14. Um, when, I was, um, when I was younger, maybe about... Um, uh, 14 or so, um, uh, 15, I used to dread Halloween coming around. Um, I used to dread Halloween coming around because um, I grew up in a Christian home, um, and um, we, didn't, we didn't really do Halloween, we didn't engage with Halloween, um, it kind of wasn't uh, the, the sort of just the, the thing that we, we were involved in, but, but around that time, I, where I lived was a, it kind of reasonably had a rough edge to it, um, and, and folks would go out and do, uh, do kind of trick-or-treating. I wasn't allowed to, to kind of be involved. So I used to dread when it came around that, you know, you, that if it was going to be on a school night, that I'd have friends who would say, oh, are you, are you going out? Where are you going? We're going on our own, and so on and so forth. And I used to kind of fear it almost and hope that we could just retreat into the back part of the house, turn the lights out at the front, and hope no one had knocked the door. Um, a few years later, in my early 20s, we met um, some American friends of ours who were um, over, Christian friends, who um, he's now a pastor in the States. They've become lifelong friends since then. We, in fact, they had a visit with us just these past couple of days. Um, they, uh, when we met them, so this is going back to 15, 20 years nearly, they um, loved celebrating Halloween. Um, they used to, uh, it was terrific family fun, they used to go out, they'd dress up in all sorts of superhero costumes and all sorts of things, they'd go out with their families, in fact he was telling me and showing me photos just of what they did this year, where as a church they did something um, uh, for Halloween where they got everybody dressed up and then in their neighbourhood people came by and got, uh, got um, sweets and chocolates and things like that. And I remember at the time when we, when we met them and, talk, and they, they would talk about Halloween and how much they enjoyed it, and I was kind of like instinctively... I don't know. I, I, something just makes me think I, I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm just not normally a part of that. It's not something we normally do. At the same time, if you can imagine, about 15 or 20 years ago, if we take another issue, um, it was the time at which Harry Potter was being uh, published every year. It was very exciting. Each summer, a new book would come out. You know I'm an avid reader. We would read, wait for the new book to come out and read about it and, and, and enjoy it. Those same American friends didn't want to read Harry Potter. So there was a kind of funny mix going on where they would say, look, Halloween is great fun, we really enjoyed it, and I'm kind of going, I don't know if that's something we should do. And they're going, well, yeah, we're not really sure it's wise to read Harry Potter. And there's me kind of diving through it and trying to read it as quickly as we can. You see the kind of of mix that where you come from, the background that you have, will have made you sensitive to certain issues and that mix, that, that kind of strange impulse of being on one side of the line with one issue and on another side of the line with another, um, Paul is raising a whole host of topics here about how we relate to one another in the Christian community, how we are a, um, a gospel community. And I, what I'm going to do this morning, um, I'm going to push quite a lot of stuff at you, 
and it's going to need some time to process. Okay, so let's get our expectations right. I'm going to push quite a lot of, of material at you. There's particularly around the early verses here. If we get this right, some of the rest of it falls out quite naturally. But you will need to go and process and take some time um, to work through some of this. But in, in my own working through this, just getting right what Paul is and isn't saying um, is, is kind of key. He is talking about the church. We've described them, and we've said it was a mix of Jews and Gentiles coming together. They had different cultural backgrounds, different expectations. And he is talking here, and I've called it this morning, a true gospel welcome. A true gospel welcome. The reason for that is that that word accept which comes here in verse 1 and comes later on um, at a couple of key points, it's more than just tolerate. It's more than just grudgingly put up with. It is welcome and respond to in that way. In the same way that if, if you had somebody who comes and stays with you, you welcome them into your house. I doubt that you necessarily just um, carry on with life as normal, disregarding the fact that they are with you. Um, now, if they come to stay with you, maybe you do, and you know, maybe that's something you want to work through at some point. But if, you, if, you, if somebody comes to you, you adjust, you work through who they are, it affects who you are and so on. You work through these things. So true gospel welcome, he says, accept the, uh, the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Um, and that takes us, what we're going to look at as we go through this, Firstly, and we'll spend quite a bit of time with these first three verses, true gospel welcome is real and personal. Um, He is describing um, disputable matters. So what are they? They are matters of conscience. They are matters that um, the scriptures don't expressly command something, nor do they expressly forbid something. God hasn't said, I command uh, that you do things in this way, or I forbid that you do that. Uh, he hasn't said that on some matter. It's a matter of conscience, a disputable matter. And it's that area that Paul is addressing here. And he describes two groups. Um, he uses the language of weak here. He doesn't pick up the language of strong until um, the next chapter, but it, it, it works to make the contrast. It just makes sense of things. So I'm going to use the words weak and strong. And he talks about the weak in faith and the strong in faith. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, strong in faith, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. He's not talking about those with more faith or less faith, uh, or that somehow uh, the weak are not really Christians. Not talking about those things, and that the strong are. He is talking about um, your degree of conviction about the freedom you have in the gospel. So he is talking about something. He's saying there is more or less conviction you might have about the freedom you have in the gospel. Um, Let me um, try and uh, kind of illustrate it like this. Um, So the situation he has here is to do particularly with food and meat, um, and then there's a later one about kind of special days, um, festival days and so on. So verse 2, one person's faith allows them to eat anything... Uh, so that's the strong. Another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Um, so if you like, you might illustrate it like this. So the weak is, the person who's weak in faith says, look, my background, where I come from, says, look, I should or I shouldn't do this. 
just instinctively I know the way I've been brought up and the way I come in, in, in my faith, I just I, I feel like I can't go there or I do need to do that. Okay? Whereas the strong in faith says, look, wonderfully, in Christ, now we're free from that. So we can do it, so we don't have to do that anymore. Isn't that great? We're free in Christ. That's the kind of distinction that he is making. Now, your background matters here. So this situation, probably most likely, um, the Jews uh, are those uh, who are cautious about eating meat. Um, Probably just, do you remember we described the fact that there was two cultures who'd come together um, in this church, um, and there are different expectations. The Jews, you can imagine someone saying, look, we kind of, I grew up, and that was the Old Testament, um, uh, the scriptures, and, the, and we just, that was what we did as a family, and the food laws, and even, I, you know, I just, when we come across meat, I'm just not sure about it, and I don't want to do that. Whereas you might have somebody, the Gentiles in this church here in Rome, saying, well, look, it's, it's great, we found, we've discovered freedom in Christ, and we can eat anything, and that's, isn't that wonderful? Super. But if you compare that to a situation in Corinth, it was probably the other way round. So in Corinth, in a different part of the New Testament, he's describing, if you can imagine, those Gentiles who had come out of a pagan background, worshipping idols at uh, temples where the, f- the food had been sacrificed to the idols, and they're kind of like, you know, I left that behind. And if I eat that meat now, I'm just, I'm not sure that I'm doing the right thing, and am I still kind of back where I was, I thought I'd left that behind, and I don't want to do that. Whereas you might have Jewish Christians at that point saying, well, that was, it's not my background, no problem, we're free in Christ, that's great, wonderful. So we don't need to do that, no, we can eat anything. Isn't that grace? So your background matters, where you are coming from, it's not the issue, um, on, uh, whatever the issue might be, you need to grasp, and I've talked about this a bit in this series, culturally where you're from, uh, educationally where you're from, uh, your experience of faith or not as you've grown up, all inform where you get to and what you're now working out. So he's raising these matters of conscience here. Okay, let's, um, let's get a little interesting. Um, I have been around long enough with, you know, I don't know how old you think I am, but long enough in Christian circles to see some of this stuff swing in and swing out of view. Um, I made a list of some of the things that, over the course of time, have been issues that have been raised um, where Christians, uh, faithful Christians, have disagreed. Um, so Halloween, I mentioned, and the, culturally. Um, it's fascinating talking to, uh, uh, to Americans about how they, how they approach Halloween and how much they enjoy it and, and the, the instinctive reaction. Uh, Harry Potter was another one. I, I, maybe that's less of an issue these days. I remember it being a big thing when it first came out. Um, uh, whether you would watch 18 certificate films or whether you would watch 15 certificate films. Now, interestingly, if as you read through this list, you're kind of going, what is that even an issue? That tells you immediately you are on one side of this line. If you're sitting here going, yeah, that's, that's the one. I'm, I am not sure about that. That tells you you're on the other side of this line. So even your instinctive responses as you read this. Uh, alcohol, whether you will or won't drink alcohol, I think it's, been, it's had a kind of fairly long-running um, uh, history. You, whether you use social media, how you use social media, whether you will use certain platforms and not others, that's a more recent one, I guess, in terms of what Christians and Christians differ in their experience and view of what you should and shouldn't do in that regard. Um, this is one This is a very presenting issue in my own life. Children and mobile phones. 
Uh, when you should give them a mobile phone, should they have a mobile phone, with what parameters, when are they allowed to use it, when they're not allowed to use it, and so on. Lots of Christian parents are trying to work through that and differ in their responses to it. Uh, Christian schooling or homeschooling and the whole spectrum uh, that there is uh, across that. Um, and people differ. I've, a number of years ago, that was quite a big topic of conversation. It, it seems to have swung out of you a little bit, but it was very much debated and, and, and wrestled with. And how you vote, assumptions that Christians will vote one way or another. It's very interesting, my American friends in their time over here, the assumptions that were made about how they vote as Christians in America and those who didn't necessarily vote the way they, people thought they might and the, the trouble they had navigating or difficulty they had navigating expectations, the assumption that... And then the big historic ones. Now, these are different, and I put them on a different slide for a reason. These are the ones that are... Are, go back decades and centuries, they are complex, and in lots of ways, they are trickier than what Romans 14 is talking about. I'll tell you why in a second. Um, so worship uh, and music styles or liturgical styles, uh, baptism um, and forms of baptism with infants or adults, um, and church government, um, how you structure churches, how you organize churches, uh, things like bishops, um, or not, how you um, and who is involved and ordained or lay uh, folk involved in different ways. They are, they are the big historic ones. Now, they are trickier than the previous set because they all require decisions that you have to take at an institution or an organization or a denominational level. You, you, ca- you have to take some decisions about how you will do things, and they are harder to work through. At some point, we all turn up here on a Sunday, we have to sing something. You can't all just appear and sing what you like. You can try. And Ollie and the team do a fantastic job in bridging quite a spectrum. You have to sing something at some point. You have to, and they do become tricky. And I suspect, I'll talk briefly later, these are more personal and individual ones these others, they are in a sense, I think, the most readily applicable to what Paul is raising in Romans 14. It doesn't get you away from these other ones, but it is worth noting how tricky they are and that they have to, you have to take decisions at that level. Okay. There are some instinctive attitudes. I said we're gonna, I'm going to kind of keep going with these early verses. The rest, stay with me. The rest will fall out. It's okay. Um, there are some instinctive attitudes that the strong and the weak have, Paul says. So verse uh, 2, when having introduced this example, he says, the one who eats everything, that's the strong, must not treat with contempt the one who doesn't, and the one who doesn't eat everything, that's the weak, must not judge the one who does. And he's identifying two instinctive attitudes, two natural ways in which you react to the others. Um, Let me put them like this. The the weak, instinctively, to the strong, he says, judge. Taking the second of those for a second. They judge the other person. You're in spiritual danger. This is a slippery slope. So the the person who was weak in faith, in these terms here, looks at the person and says, look, I, I need to be more cautious about this. Uh, my background, the way, the way I've, I've been brought up, I, I feel strongly that I, I shouldn't do this. And, when I, and you doing it, and your instinctive is, is to kind of judge them and say, 
you are on dangerous ground. It's a slippery slope. This is going to get you into difficulty. That's the instinctive response, says Paul. They mustn't judge the one who does. They, they, it's judging, it's denouncing. It's, you know, you are, mm, you're, you're going in a bad place. The strong to the weak, he says, must not treat with contempt. It is to dismiss. It's to, you see, it's to write them off. It's, it's to kind of just disregard their, their thoughts and feelings. So you don't want to eat meat. That is your problem, not mine. We have moved on. Can't, actually, can you not even think for yourself? Are you still, are you still, have you, you know, you've been brainwashed by this. There are these instinctive attitudes, says Paul. And I wonder if you can kind of just draw the, the, the logical outworking of this. Imagine for a moment how both the weak and the strong feel. How is it the weak feel? When met with that kind of dismissal, contempt, do you not, do you not care about me at all, spiritually? Do you not, do you not care? that I, I'm pretty concerned about this. And do you, you just seem to be kind of going, doesn't matter. And the strong, as they're judged by the weak, I think you, you don't think I'm a Christian, really. I, I kind of feel like you, you actually don't think I'm really a Christian in this. You kind of, you're pretty like, you know, slippery slope, moral problems coming your way. And it, as much as we go on through this, understanding where you come from and, and trying to put yourself in the shoes of the other person is one of the hardest things, but one of the most important things that you can do in this. So, what we are describing here is that there is this true gospel welcome, um, that it is more than just tolerating somebody else. There are these matters of conscience. Um, there, are, there, are, there are responses that are, are weak in faith and strong in faith. They will come up in, in lots of different areas. And there are these instinctive attitudes that we can fall into. And I guess what we forget, but what we need to realize, is there are, ex- there are, there are these kind of feelings, responses that we can often find, but we don't often pay much attention to. Okay, I said we do most of the work on this. Let's, the rest of this then falls out. So you're going to need to, to process some of this. It is, um, the next part of it is to say then that true gospel welcome, it takes hard work. If you take all that on board, working this through is not easy. It takes hard work. And we're going to um, move through this, this next part. It's the rest of the chapter here. It, he seems to break it down, largely addressing the weak in faith, first of all, where he ends um, uh, verse 3 saying, you mustn't judge the one who does. That's the, the weak in faith, for God has accepted them. And who are you to judge someone else's servant? And he kind of unpacks that. Then we'll look at, um, uh, then, then he turns it about midway through verse um, 13 to the strong, or 14 um, to the strong um, and we'll look at both of those briefly. In essence, what is he saying to the weak? The weak needs to... Um, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. You don't need to be 
the judge of them. To the weak in faith, you don't need to be the judge. Do you know that is God's job, not your job? And not my job. You don't need to judge them. We remember, the end of verse 3, God has accepted them through faith. And they've been welcomed by him, so we're to welcome them. And the primary kind of arguments he gives and the, and the reason, he says, actually, you don't need to be their judge because we all stand before God as our judge. So it kind of falls out, and verse 4, um, to their own master, servants stand or fall, they will, they will stand before um, God. In verse uh, 6, you'll see that repeated phrase, um, if you regard a special day, uh, they do so to the Lord. Um, if they eat meat, they do so to the Lord. Um, uh, None of us lives to ourselves alone, verse 7. And verse 8, if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. It's all kind of anchored between you and standing before God. Um, and then he, as he goes on to quote the Old Testament, um, verse 10, uh, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them content? We will all stand before God's judgment seat. Uh, he gives a picture of that. As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. It's not your and my job to judge them. They, they operate before the Lord themselves. And I've, uh, another thing in the past couple of decades, many uh, interesting and enjoyable films and TV series about American politics have been made. Uh, many of them have a kind of stirring moment at some point where um, uh, whoever it is in the West Wing somewhere says, you know, I serve at the pleasure of the president. Um, you know, as Whatever difficulty there is, I, I, I stand and serve at the pleasure of the president. I don't know whether people walk around in 10 Downing Street saying the same thing. I, you know, I serve at the pleasure of the prime minister. I don't know. Maybe they do. Um, but you see, it's kind of, above all else, I stand before and I serve the president. And he's saying to the weak in faith, do you really, that's, it's not your job to be their judge. They stand before the Lord. They answer to him as we all do. But it also, briefly, he inserts there into verses 5 and 6, think carefully about your position. So he is talking to the weak in faith. Think, think carefully about your position. You need to be fully convinced. You need to think it through. And again, because we can sometimes rely on our traditions and our background, have you looked at the scriptures lately on this particular issue? Have you reasoned through what is it saying? What is it not saying? What, if it doesn't say anything directly, which obviously in matters of conscience, they don't, it doesn't often, what do you think scripturally is wisest and what is wisest for you? And are you going against your conscience or not? Have you, re, have you looked at it afresh lately from the scriptures? Do you see? Each should be fully convinced in their own minds. Because he is talking about the maturity of believers and he is addressing the weak in faith and saying, you know, you need to keep thinking. What does freedom look like in the gospel? What do the strong need to do? Um, the strong, um, he uh, picks up in the second uh, part, the strong, uh, verse um, kind of 13 or halfway through, um, having said, let us, not, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Don't by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. What do the strong need to do? You don't need to dismiss that weaker brother or sister. 
You don't need to treat them with contempt. You don't need to dismiss them and disregard them. Remember, this is somebody for whom Christ died. Don't, by your eating, destroy somebody for whom Christ died. This is somebody whom, whom Jesus gave his blood for. That God loved that much. In your contempt for them, in your disregard, you are treating somebody who God loves that much. And don't, therefore, cause them to sin or to do something against their conscience. Don't put a stumbling block or obstacle in their way. You can, um, the, the issue of uh, drinking, of alcohol, is, is kind of raised uh, at one point. And you can see how that might work. So we're free in Christ, and you're, able, uh, you're free to, to drink what you would like to and give thanks in doing so. Um, so come on, look. Just move on. Get over it. You can, you, you're free to drink, so why don't you? And then the person under that pressure and the person who's weaker in faith does so and then drinks, but yet somehow feels inwardly guilty or ashamed and like they've done something that their conscience doesn't allow. And at the very least, you've trampled on that person's conscience. You've caused them to do something against their conscience. He says, don't do that. Don't cause them that kind of distress. It takes hard work. It takes work to reason through. I've said your background may mean you find yourself on differing sides of different issues. It takes hard work to think through where am I and why is that? Thirdly, finally... This true gospel welcome shows us God really is bringing in his kingdom. Um, I've suggested these, these are the, the readiest application of this, are particularly those, those traditions and the, those, those ways you've been brought up. Um, and I, that's why I wanted to make that distinction between some of them which are more complicated and, and we have to take trickier decisions about. But these ones are, they're often personal, they're often to do with our history, but when you see, what is he doing? He's, he's trying to give us a vision for a gospel community that operates in this way, where those who are weak in faith and those who are strong in faith will outdo one another to try and welcome and look after others. And the picture of it comes um, in verse 17, particularly, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, that's right relationships with God and then with, with one another, of peace and of joy in the Holy Spirit. See, we're not to come to church kind of bitter and angry that that particular issue has not been solved in the way that I want it, that I come into church with my axe to grind, to make everything political, and that you are therefore wrong and I am therefore right. He says it's about peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And he says, let us, uh, verse 19, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. That's up building one another up. What encourages you and encourages me? And don't destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Now, he's, the work of God here is the maturing process. And Paul, it, it, it takes... Um, skill to reason this out. Paul himself puts him side on, himself on the side of the strong, and he's saying, I want to work for the maturity of those who don't yet know the freedom they have in Christ. 
but the way I go about it matters as much, if not more, than the outcome. Verse 22, so whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does come from faith is sin. He's asking them to reason through and to work out what this looks like. It means a couple of things. It does mean doing this as a gospel community together takes this kind of work, and it means a couple of uh, kind of logical outworkings. That the weak in faith can't blackmail a church. Oh, I'm sorry, we can't do that. That's a matter of conscience. No, we can't do that either. That also is a matter of conscience. You can't make everything a matter of conscience. The weak can't blackmail a church in that way. But the strong can't railroad a church. Doesn't matter. Move on. We're done. The, the, the strong in faith can't override and say we're just going there anyway. And can you see how finely balanced that is? And the, the, the work that takes as a, as a gospel community together to hold that and not allow one of those two to run its course and to dominate. But if you can do that, you have a vision of the kingdom that Jesus is bringing in, the kind of gospel community that he envisages in this, on this earth and as a witness to this earth. And wouldn't that be a powerful thing? I'll leave you with this last couple of questions. Um, on any given issue, uh, one of these matters of conscience, where am I on this issue and why is that? Have I looked carefully at myself and where I've come from? Have I reasoned this out? Have I been back to the scriptures? Have I thought about it recently? Or am I just working with a default setting? What I've inherited, whatever it may be. And how can I welcome others? How can I respond? When I realize that I am, yeah, I'm, I'm, weak in, I'm on the side of the weak in faith on this particular issue, how do I respond to those who are strong in faith? On this issue, I'm, I would count myself amongst the strong in faith. We're free. How do I respond to a weaker brother or a sister? I said I was going to push a whole load of stuff at you to process and think through. So happy Sunday afternoon. Um, let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we pray for your wisdom uh, we pray for your sensitivity. We pray for self-understanding, Lord, in the light of uh, our faith in you and where you've brought us from. Give us sensitivity to matters of conscience. Lord, would we know ourselves well and see ourselves rightly and then put ourselves in the shoes of others and understand how we're to relate. Lord, we pray that it wouldn't just be for our own sake, but Lord, as we see one another as, as brought by you, and your people standing before you alone, Lord, would we encourage one another and build one another up in so doing. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.